Good morning. Welcome. You are listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, and I am your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart. It is Brother Marty Leeds. I am, yes, your official minister for this fine Sunday morning. Thank you all for being here today. Um, This is going to be a good one. This is going to be a good one. We're just going to jump right in because that's what we like to do. And today we're going to talk about the quadrivium and trivium understood through the compasses and square. We're going to do some learning today. And it's all going to be about God. That's what it's going to all be about because that's what we do here. So let's do a prayer. Universal fountain of love, wisdom, and happiness. Nature is the book in which thy character is written. And no one can read it unless he has been in thy school. Therefore, our eyes are directed upon thee as the eyes of the servants are directed upon the hands of the masters and mistresses from whom they receive their gifts. O Lord of kings, who should not praise thee, who should not praise thee unceasingly and forever with his whole heart? For everything in the universe comes from thee, out of thee, belongs to thee, and must again return to thee. Everything that exists will ultimately re-enter thy love or thy anger, thy light or thy fire, and everything, whether good or evil, must serve to thy glorification. Thou alone art the Lord, for thy will is the fountain of all powers that exist in the universe. None can escape thee. Thou art the king of the world. Thy residence is in heaven and in the sanctuary of the heart of the virtuous. Amen. It was a Rosicrucian prayer, actually, and I thought that was pretty good. So today we're going to talk about, since last week we did... um, Jesus, Freemasonry, and the Jews, and we talked about 
Freemasonry and talked about how it's, you know, it's, uh, it is a mystery school tradition. That's really what Freemasonry is all about. And what we're going to see is that Freemasonry really is all about educating you and educating you on the seven classic liberal arts. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The quadrivium and the trivium. Quad means four, tri means three. So we're going to talk a lot today about this symbol. And we're basically going to unpack what this symbol means, all of the information, all of the what, we'll, what we will establish today as metaphysical wisdom that is plop right in that thing right there. And we're going to decode it, de uh, decipher it, and it's going to be fun. Now, there is going to be some review today, and it's good that we review these things because we, you know, sometimes you have to review things to hammer in people's heads, but there will be a little bit of review uh, today. So, the Freemasons, um, they hold the Bible and the compasses and square, they consider it the furniture of their lodge. So it is, uh, you know, it's a prominent part of the Masonic doctrine is, is the symbols of the compasses and square. Now, we talked about last time how F Freemasonry and what we understand is the mystical tradition, right? The, the esoteric or occult or Gnostic tradition is literally something that's all over the world. And it has a universality to it. Just And that's what we seek when we're looking for the metaphysical. We look for things that belong to God. They're, they're eternal. They're incorruptible. They're universal. Freemasonry has been a living and vital force in the world without regard to race, tongue, nationality, or geographic location. This splendid order has spread all over the world. And it's all it's in China. It's in it's been revered in China for thousands of years. It's the same Freemasonry in its essential spirit and forms that's been known in Pendleton. The American Indians had it. We'll actually talk about that. I'll show just a little bit today, but we'll talk about that when we do the Ojibwe story of creation. The Ojibwe, as far as we can tell, had a Masonic doctrine. So the American Indians, the Masonic explorers, the East Indians, the Aztecs, the Peruvians, etc., etc., etc. This is. Um, by the way, this is, so we'll touch on this before, or uh, next, not next week, but in a few weeks when we do the Ojibwe story of creation, we're going to talk about Turtle Mountain and all that stuff. It's going to be great. So um, there's a, right there, there's the Lodge of the Eagle Society. Literally, they had a lodge. They had secret passwords. They had, these were, these were found part of the of, you know, archaeological record of what's been the remnants of the native cultures. They had compasses and squares, like literally. So all the sort of the same things that you would find in what would in, in what would be considered Freemasonry or the Gnostic tradition, the Native Americans had. This comes from C.C. Zane. Um, I think it's Ancient Masonry. I'm not sure. Is that what it's called? Ancient Masonry is the book I want to say. But the antiquity, we're going to talk about the universality of this education system is really what we're going to focus on today. And that's the Quadrivium and Trivium. It's the seven classic liberal arts. It's the very education that none of us got, but you're going to get it here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ for free. For free. You don't even have to pay for this. God, what? Anyway. Uh, masonry. For many years, it has been, this guy is basically saying, my desire to place before students a concise exposition of those occult principles which form the framework about which are woven the symbolism and ritual of modern Freemasonry. Modern Freemasonry is, as we like to say, it's a recapitulation of the mystery school tradition that you'll see remnants or uh, 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 reflections of the Masonic doctrine in all sorts of different traditions. And it's all pointing to essentially what? The Universal Mystery School, the Pr Prisca Theologia. The antiquity of its, this is what we're going to focus on today. The main symbol, an emblem of masonry, which is the compasses and square. The antiquity of its venerable emblems is unquestionable. An antiquity meaning it's pretty damn old. And it is now generally accepted by Freemasons and occult students alike that they conceal mystic verities. And that's exactly what we're going to unearth today. Is that the Freemasonic square and compasses 
reveals a lot, a lot of mystical truths. And by truths, I mean not my opinions or my conjectures or I've got some good theories. We're going to put some pen to paper today, you know, figuratively anyway, and show the proofs. Show the proof. Show the mystical truths that we can derive right from that baby. And the only place you're really going to get this uh, knowledge is here. I just hate to say that. I really hate to say that. I wish there were more places that were talking about this. That's not a. That's not me puffing out my feathers or anything like that. I'm like, there should be more people talking about this. So uh, the antiquity of its venerable emblems is unquestionable and it is now generally accepted by Freemasons and occult students alike that they conceal mystical, metaphysical, esoteric truths. Amen. These rites and pictorial representations that have seemed significant to an important nucleus in the social system of every ancient nation boasting even a degree of civilization. Any nation that had even a smat, just a smidge of what we would call civilization has had this as its foundation, this knowledge system, okay? And are so widely disseminated that the remnants may be found. This, Listen to this. This is page one of this book, by the way, or the opening introduction or whatever. This knowledge is so widely disseminated that the remnants may be found in remote Tartary and Tibet, among the almond-eyed children of the Flowery Kingdom in Japan, on the slopes of the snow-capped Himalayas beside the turbid Ganges, amid the desert sands that covered the buried cities of Gobi, and by the revered Tigris and Euphrates. They are also found at the foot of the Caucasian passes, by the shores of the Red Sea, in the fertile valley of the Nile, and amid the ruins of classic Greece and Rome, ancient Gaul and primitive Ireland, and crossing the restless expanse where the wide Atlantic rolls, we confront the same hoary emblems in Peru, in Mississippi Valley, in the Yucatan, in other words, you will find this mystical tradition, this universal system of knowledge everywhere. And that's the point. What is this mystical knowledge? It's understood through the compasses and square, and we'll show that today. And it is what is known as the seven classic liberal arts. It's the quadrivium and trivium. There's the, this is a bunch of different illustrations, paintings throughout the years, Highlighting this, celebrating this, you know, uh, you know, putting it, raising it up to its like higher, you know, knowledge, basically. Arithmetic, geometry, music, astrology, or cosmology, we'll say. That's your quadrivium, okay? It's the first four there. Arithmetic, geometry, music, and astrology. Then that's the quadrivium. The trivium is known as logic, rhetoric, and grammar. We're going to go over every single one of these today and show how the uh, the Freemasonic's compasses and square is actually pointing out each one of these studies. Okay, arithmetic, geometry, music, but cosmology, logic, rhetoric, and grammar. Seven classic liberal arts. There's another couple, few more illustrations of them right there. Now this is once again the base. You know, we did learn a little bit of grammar. Grammar. We learned a little bit of arithmetic. Yes, you might have learned some geometry here and there in school. Okay, but in general, we did not learn this stuff. This was not taught to your average person that went to your, you know, your educational, your educational curriculum, at least in the United States here. There's the seven classic liberal arts. Look how it's patterned. They go one, two, three, and then there's a top one, and then there's three, two, one. You see how that's patterned? Off the seven, um, seven planets as well. Sun, Mercury, Moon, Venus, Mars, you got it. You, you, you know the seven planets. So, but look how look how they situated the seven classic liberal arts. It's the same sort of thing as in the cipher. You see that? Where it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Same pattern. We'll get to that. So there's that seven classic liberal arts. There it is again. I just want to show you a bunch of different illustrations to show that this does have great antiquity. It's been around for a long time. This is the seven, seven, um, 
liberal arts shown as ladies uh, pre you know, presenting this to Boethius, I think is his name. Um, and you can see the third one on the right there, the, the lady, she's holding a, a square, right? When we went to, when Jennifer and I went to Germany, we went to the, what was it called? The beautiful fountain, Schöne Brunne? Yeah. The Schöne, Schöne Brunne. Schöne Brunne, whatever. The, it's a, this beautiful fountain in um, downtown Nürnberg. Nürnberg. Um, and anyway, the seven classic liberal arts are, 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 are highlighted on this fountain as well. I, I was going to grab pictures of it, but that's not necessary. So there it is again. So now a lot of people may even have these books. This is the wooden book series. It's a pretty good book series, actually. I've got, I don't know, I'm, or at least I've had some books over the years. I don't have the trivium. I have the, I have the quadrivium. They're pretty good. They're, you know, they just kind of do an overview of some of the, the main ideas between the, of, of the seven classic liberal arts, but it's pretty good. Some people might have these books, but so, so what we're going to understand today is that the seven classic liberal arts when you study each one of these, these subjects, what you're doing is studying metaphysics. It's a study in metaphysics. That's what it is, okay? Grammar, rhetoric, and logic. Let's first start with the trivium. Try meaning three, of course. All of that is metaphysical. Language itself is a metaphysical medium. It really is. It's beyond the physical. It's, in other words, words are just like small mouth noises that go out. They have this reverberation. There's letters attached to it and a written language and stuff like that. But none of that is physical. Yes, you can physically write the word tree down, right? But that is just a symbol. There's nothing physical about the word itself. It is actually metaphysical language itself. So when we get into rhetoric, and we'll talk about all this, grammar, um, and get into logic and stuff like that, that's all dealing in metaphysics. It really is. Because there's nothing, it's not like we're t anatomy where you can count the bones. It's not, that doesn't work that way. The, so there's your trivium. Let's go to the quadrivium, okay? Cosmology and astrology, what is it? Yes, of course, we have a physical earth. Yes, we understand that, and that is absolutely part of our cosmology. So there is a physicality to the study of cosmology, that sort of thing. But cosmology is often related to directly to astrology. Now, we know that, once again, and we'll cover this again in this live stream, everything above us is metaphysical. Everything that we're looking at above us is meta, meaning beyond the physical. And this, and we'll talk about this moving forward. So what are you studying when you're studying the heavens? What you, your cosmology, the metaphysical. The, it's, when I mean metaphysical, I mean this is how you're branched into, this is like your segue this is how you're, you're, if you will, the the bridge to get you into a, the occult, to get you into Gnosticism and that sort of stuff. Music. What is music? There's nothing. Now there's, you know, I, I mean, I could play guitar here and there's a guitar, right? Or there's a piano that I'm playing that is a physical instrument. But what is the music itself? It's metaphysical. It's just out in the, you know, there's no physical objects like I'm holding Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven as if it's a ball or something. No right? Numbers themselves, as we know, what are numbers? They're metaphysical. There's no physical number seven every, anywhere. You can't like go drive down to Browntown, Wisconsin here. And after you go buy some rounds at the local gun shop, you, you know, go down the street and there's the physical number seven there. No, geometry is the same thing. So when you're studying the seven classic liberal arts, what you're studying is the metaphysics, which leads you what? To one place and one place only, and that's God Almighty. What, once again, when we get into heaven or we get into the, the stars, the cosmology, the mathematics and geometry, what is all of that? They're the universals and transcendentals. There is no Christian number seven. There's no Hindu number seven. It's not like the atheists have their number seven. Nope. It's just the number seven. That's it. 
And that is available to anybody, anywhere, at any time. And that's what we seek. And that's what the seven classic liberal arts actually leads you to. The universality of God's intelligence. Okay? So the heavens, the stars, the, the cosmology, it's metaphysical, it's spiritual, it's incorruptible, it's available to all. What is mathematics? Same thing. Supernatural, infinite, sequential, naturally ordered. It's incorruptible, infallible, and available to all. Once again, you can lie about math, but math doesn't lie. Okay? Spirituality, as we talked about, is a science. And this is why the Freemasonic Square Encompasses is giving you tools of what? Ultimately, math and geometry. Why? Because they're trying to lead you to that universality, that universal wisdom that is, in, that is literally emanating out your fingertips. It's, it's placed right in front of you. The Gnostic tradition, the mystical tradition was trying to wake you up to these verities, these spiritual verities. So why would religious studies be based in geometry and number? This is what a lot of religious people do all the time. It's just all about numbers and stuff like that. No, I'm all about God. <clears throat> I just understand that where numbers come from. <laughs> why would religious studies be based in geometry and number? Because spirituality is a science. Everything else in the world, in, in this sense, to, to come to the conclusion about something, has a, there's a science to it. Even if it's a science of... I don't want to get into that too much. That's too much of a diatribe. But... It, um, so, but we, we like spirituality and your religious quest and all that sort of stuff. It just like hangs on the whims of people's opinions and faulty interpretations. No, no, there should be a foundational science behind it. If it's, if we're supposed to come to it and actually know it, well, there is, that's what that, that's what that's saying right there. This is why, once again, when we say Freemasonry, the definition of Freemasonry, that it is a science of morality, veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. It's a science, a science of morality. People forget that word. It's like, no, they're saying that in order for you to, to understand and get into the higher le levels of wisdom that God is going to bequeath you, you must be moral. You must be upstanding. You must, be so, you must be dedicated to what you're doing, and it must be for the betterment of humanity, full stop. Otherwise, you ain't getting shit. God's not giving you anything. Masons study the seven classic liberal arts. This is part of the, the core teaching that you'll find in Masonry. Masonry is extreme, and all of the Gnostic traditions, for the most part, are, they're all fiercely, extremely autodidactic. So it's not like you're going to go into the Masonic Lodge and they're going to be like, here, you need to read these books. And then after you read these books, then you ascend to the next degree. And then you read these. And then you write a little paper. And then we give you the approval. And then you no, it's nothing like that at all. you got to climb those steps. you got to make every single step along the way. As you can see, the, the top seven steps, these are all prime numbers, by the way. Three steps, five steps, seven steps, just so you know. But the first three are the Masonic degrees. It's Trinitarian. It is. There's three degrees that become ultimately one quest in masonry, the Blue Lodge. You go up to the very top, and what is it? It's your grammar, rhetoric, logic, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. Astrology, cosmology. Okay? So there it is. Now, this is, so last week we talked about the fact, I think it was last week we talked about the fact that the modern churches have no idea what they're reading when they're reading the Bible. And this is the, the, the problem that we're facing today in our world when it comes to you know, uh, contemporary Christianity. They do not know how to read their Bible. And not only that, they reject the very tools that would allow them to open up that Bible and understand it. 
Okay, so this comes from, and we and we highlighted Pike because the one, you know, we highlighted the fact that the Orthodox tradition, they, they will tell you that they don't read Revelation because they don't know what it means. And then we went to Pike and Pike was like, yeah, most people don't know what it means. So, you know, even Masons and that sort of stuff. But this is what Pike also said, okay, about the holy number seven, which we'll get into here. Pike said this. This, so after he's basically saying, look, the, uh, the, the book of Revelation cannot be read unless you've done your study, your due diligence, you've gone headfirst into a, what would be considered the study of mysticism, esoterica, etc., right? The, the, the book of Revelation is written hieroglyphically with numbers and images, and the, the book appeals to the intelligence of the initiated, etc., etc., but this is what he says at the very end. He says the septenary, number seven, is the crown of the numbers because it unites the triangle of the idea, the triangle of the idea to the square of the form. So that's a representation of three and four uniting to make seven, correct? And it's the triangle of the idea to the square of the form. So that's three and four, and that's exactly what the trivium is. The trivium is, you know, three, and then quadrivium is four, and what do you have? Seven. This also, this comes from Paracelsus. Listen to this, okay? A ternary is a number three, okay? Ternary is number three. So this is Paracelsus saying this. For God marked all his creatures with this three and engraved its hieroglyph on them with his own finger. Uh, my Lord, the amount, like how deep what he just said is, is insane, but we'll move on. Nothing in the nature of things can be assigned or produced that lacks this majesty of the divine ternary or three, or that does not even ocularly prove it. The creature teaches us to understand and see the creator himself. As St. Paul testifies to the Romans, this covenant of the divine ternary diffused throughout the whole substance of things is indissoluble. It's incorruptible. You can't destroy it. The number three, by this also we have the secrets of all nature, from the four elements for the ter ternary with a magical quaternary, quaternary meaning four, quarter, produces a perfect septenary endowed with many arcana and demonstrated by things which are known. When the quaternary rests in the ternary, when the number four rests in the number three, then arises the light of the world on the horizon of eternity and by the assistance of God gives us the whole bond. So let's get into that three and four and that number seven and let's first start with grammar. Okay, so grammar. So there's Paracelsus and Pike and the entire mystical tradition telling you about the importance of the number seven and the importance ultimately of these, this educational system is really what it is, okay? Grammar, let's talk about grammar. Grammar is what? Now some of these, the grammar rhetoric we're not gonna spend too much time on just because we I wanna really get into some of the math which is super heady. But uh, grammar is the whole system and structure of language or of languages in general, usually taken as consisting of syntax and morphology, including inflections, and sometimes as also phonology and semantics, okay? So the, okay, so basically grammar, in other words, well, you're gonna have to understand your language. You're gonna have to understand proper grammar in, in order to ascend up the higher, send the seven rungs of the ladder to heaven, if you will, you're going to have to understand your language. Okay, well, this is what the Freemasonic Compasses and Square is actually pointing directly to, is grammar. Okay, now, as we covered last week, the Lost Masonic, this the G in that symbol right there represents what's known as the Lost Masonic Word. 
okay? That's what it represents. And we, we did a whole, um, I'll just show this again, but that's what it represents. This is the key like myth or story that is attached to masonry. This story, right? This is like the foundation of the legend of the craft is, is this story about Hiram Abiff. And we talked about the fact that Hiram Abiff was the master mason, master architect at Solomon's Temple, and he was attacked by three ruffians, and they were the Jews. That's just what it is, right? And Hiram was attacked by three Jews, Jubela, Jubilo, Jubilum, and who they demanded the master's word. So these Jews, these ruffians, came up to Solomon like, give us the master's word, otherwise we're going to kill you. He never gave it up. What is the master's word? What is the word? Well, who's the master? Who's the word? Christ. That is, comma, the secret name of God. That's what that G represents. The search after the word and the secret name of God. Uh, Hiram never gave it up to the Jews because they weren't worthy of it. Just how the story goes. So um, finally, they went and searched for this master's word, this holy name of God, and all they, all they ended up with was the G. So the main story of masonry gives you the explanation of what that G is right there, okay? Now, why is this important? Because in Esoterica, the, the holy name of God, when you look at the Old Testament to the New Testament, the holy name of God, what is known as the name, this is what, Hashem, this is what it means, the name, the name. This is known Kabbalistically as Yad He Vav He or Yahweh, right? This is be this Yad He Vav He reading right to left there. This is known as the Tetragrammaton. The Tetragrammaton. We're so we're trying to understand the first of the the quadrivium or the trivium, excuse me, grammar, rhetoric, and logic. And the first thing that the Freemasonic compasses and square points you to is the holy name of God, which is called the Tetragrammaton. Grammar and grammaton. Grammaton is a reference to grammar, and tetra means four, and that's the four letters of, of Yahweh in this sort of sense, right? Yadhi Vavhi. Now, why is this important? Because what that what this symbol does, what this symbol here, right, what that what that name does, this holy name of God, and this symbol here does, is points you to the subject of gematria. Now, why is gematria important? People ask this question all the time, like, oh, it's just a number. They're just throwing stuff together. Blah 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 blah. Okay, right. Except the what gematria elucidates and actually unearths is the fact that God. The principles of God, when we talked about the universality and metaphysics and supernatural nature of number itself, is, a, is, a, is intelligence, is literally God's language in that sort of sense, combined with geometry is the language of God, is the universal language. Gematria is telling you that God is in your alphabet, is in the, in the metaphysical supernatural language that we're using. God exists within that. This is the big reveal of gematria. And this is why I get really, I go completely against pretty much anybody else that's doing gematria on the web because they're, they're a bunch of conspiracy theorists that are taking names and, you know, whatever, people's deaths, days they died and how old they died at and starting making all these ridiculous conclusions and connections and stuff like that that can't be verified. And gematria has nothing to do with that. It's about helping people understand that God is in our alphabet. Yeah, and we'll show this when we do the gematria of the compasses and square here. That's your Lord God there. So that's, this is, 
Yadhi Vavhi. And in their system, in the Hebrew, Hebraic system, it equals 26. Well, the two names given to God, and we'll revisit this when we, when we do the music part, is Lord and God. Using the septenary cipher, what's down below there, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, N to Z does the same thing. You can see 26. There's 26 letters in the English alphabet. There's 26 pieces of the cube, by the way. It's 26 pieces of the cube. So uh, there's that. Six faces, uh, eight points, 12 lines to make up the cube. We do a little bit of the cube here. I don't know if you guys know that. but So there's... The holy name of God equaling 26, Lord God equaling 26, our English alphabet equaling 26, and the cube equaling 26, 26 pieces of the cube. The, this is known as the master's word directly from the, I mean, they quote it. They quote it. It's the master's word that is the secret name of God. Well, what is this? What is the word? As we know, the, Jesus Christ is the word. So we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. But what is the word? The word represents what? Design. And natural order, purpose, consciousness, reason, wisdom, incorruptible truth, divine truth. That's what the word represents. That's what the word is. Not even represents. That's what the, that's what the word is. Okay? The word, as we found, just as our mystical tradition tells us, just as Gnosticism tells us, just as Freemasonry tells us, the word has been understood across the world. Across the world. Egyptian Book of the Dead. I am the eternal. I am Ra. I am that which created the word. I am the word. The Aum. Why, uh, that's why that symbol there. It's the little three, if you will, with the tail swirling off. That's your Aum. Um, that's your, we consider the word, the holy syllable or word in Hinduism. In the beginning was Brahman, with whom the word was, whom, excuse me, with whom was the word, and the word was truly the supreme Brahman. We also talked about, this is, um, Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus down there, Therian out of light, a holy word, Logos, descended on that nature. Cosmos of the frame, divine man, a man, uh, a life that cannot die, and yet a life that dies. You mean just like Christ? He died, but then didn't really die, kind of thing. So uh, I, I pointed this out to, um, you know, the Odinites out there, the, the, right? That you're the, the poetic Eddas and the Norse mythology, that sort of stuff, is 100% Kabbalistic and has the word, okay? So this is Odin that hung on the Yggdrasil tree, the world tree. This is the story behind Odin. Odin was the hero, is the hero in the Norse mythos, right? He hung on a tree, a world tree. And what did he, what did he get? What, what did he receive? He received knowledge of the runes. He received a magical alphabet. He received the knowledge that the divine intelligence of the world is in the very language he's speaking. Since the runes' native home is in the well of Erd with the Norns, and since the runes do not reveal themselves to any but those who prove themselves worthy of such a fearful insights and ability, Odin hung himself from the branch of the Yagrasil. He forbade it. Uh, he basically stared down and stared downward and called to the ruins and then teetering on the precipice that separates life and death. At the end of the ninth, he perceived the shapes and the depths, the ruins. Odin ended his ordeal with a scream of exultation, having been initiated into the mysteries of the ruins. Odin was initiated into the mystery of the magic of his own alphabet and how God existed within it. 
Then I was fertilized and became wise. I truly grew and thrived from a word to a word. I was led to a word. From a work to a work, I was led to a work. What is the great work? What is the great, what is the work is the great work? What is the word? It's the, it's the very thing that cultures around the world, mystical traditions, esoteric traditions, what we do here have recognized inherent within the creation itself. Okay. Once again, when we talk about this is the big reveal about Gamatria and this is what the Freemasonic Square encompasses, they're there to tell you this is your grammar. Look, all of these cultures, all of these high civilizations, the Greek, the Arab, you know, you got Arabic there, you got Indian, you got Hebrew, all the languages there, they all had this mathematical foundation. Why? Because these cultures recognized what? That if God is in all things, then he must be in the very language that we're speaking. Now we're told what? Now we're told what? We just went to, um, Jennifer and I, when we left up north, we we went to this um, natural food store, right? And the, and the people there, they're super sweet, super nice people, love them so much. They're very fundamentalist, literalist Christians, right? And so the last time we were there, basically, um, she was kind of saying something to the effect of like, how oh, the world's kind of looking pretty dark and everything like that. And then she said, that's just a sign that he's about to come. That he's about to arrive. He's Christ is about to show up. That's what she was thinking. And immediately, I didn't say anything because I was like, look, this is really not the time and place. But immediately I thought of that verse in Matthew where it's like where two or three are gathered together. There I am. It's like, no, Christ is, the whole point is Christ is present all the time. That's the point. <laughs> Christ is with us right now. Then we say, oh, well, God itself is in our language. It's, it's in, it's in the, the tetragrammaton referring to grammar. And then Jesus is referred to as the word. All of these things are what? A reference to what? Language. What we're speaking. So Christ, in this sense, as we'll show moving forward, is absolutely in our language. And this is what the Freemasonic Compasses and Square is actually trying to point out. That symbol of the compasses and square and the G, that is a direct reference to Lord Jesus Christ, full stop, period, quote me. Jesus is the word. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, the word was God. Why do you think you have to know your grammar? Why do you think you have to know the word? Now, so, what we understand is when we recognize that uh, mathematics is a universal language, then we look at some of the key numbers within that language, and we, fi and we figure out that it's like, oh, well, they're referring to, at least in the, once again, in in the when we talk about specifically mathematics when they refer to a word that's a word in the language of math in the universal language of mathematics pi represents the numeric word of god why not because it's my opinion but because the freemasonic square encompasses will tell us so as we know the cipher down there it goes one two three four five six seven and it stops on the g and that G becomes the central pillar. Does everybody see that? Like I said, a lot of review for some people. But that G. So when we look at the Freemasonic compasses and square, and they're like, and the first thing is this grammar. Well, you're going to have to know your alphabet. Why? Because it's metaphysical. And what, what's, beyond, what's at the foundation of that? Mathematics, which is what? Metaphysical and leads what? To the universality of God and that he is within all things. Always present. So then we see, so there's that G, and that's what the cipher does. It, it stops at seven. It, it, you know, this, that's what it does. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven G. 
Okay, well, the, the word seven in the cipher is six, five, 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 one. That equals 22. And 22 divided by seven is 3.142. It's a, an approximation of pi. And you have to abbreviate pi for those that are asking because it's a transcendental number. I'm not gonna get into that too much. But so the G there, the G in the Freemasonic compasses in square, that is the seventh letter, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That encodes two numbers. And those two numbers, 22 and seven, are the first two, first two whole numbers or natural numbers that you can use to divide, to find an approximation of pi, which is used literally all over the world. That has been encoded in, that, in this symbol. Where is it? Where is it? In this symbol. For how, however long that symbol's been around. What happens is people are not educated in the seven classic liberal arts. They don't understand their grammar. They don't understand their language. And then they'll see this and then they're like, that's devil worship. No, it's actually verifiable mathematics. <laughs> There's no question about it. And that's what's beautiful about it. So when we say spirituality is a science, that's what we mean. That's what we mean. The word has a, has, a, has a correlate into this universal language that we're all given called math. We always talk about how, what is it? It's always about arising, Aries, arise, going all the way up to the top. How many times have we said this? How many times have we read that from the Bible, right? And what is that? That's all about the Lamb of God getting up to that top. That's what it's all about. Then we go to that very word seven, six, five, 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 one. And then we look at what's the constellation that's representing spiritual, in this sense, spiritual illumination in the Zodiac man, right? The top, right? What is it? It's Aries, Aries the Ram. That's the very mirror of seven. So when we say, there were seven last words of Christ, of course, that sort of thing. But so when we say that Freemasonic compasses and square, that G right there, that is a specific and direct reference to Lord Jesus Christ mathematically. There's the mirror. Six, five, five, one. And then what? One, five, 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 six. Okay. This is when we talk about pi, you know, uh, th that cipher that we just showed, and I'm going to do a whole live stream on this. It's, there's a chapter in the book, uh, yeah, chapter in the book. And basically how I show that the cipher that we're talking about, the septenary cipher, which reveals God and Christ in our very language, that, this, the, the basic symbology to find this is literally all over the world. I mean, it's in dozens of places. The Holy Bible, the beginning, God did his work in six days, resting on the seventh. What is it? It's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, rest, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, resting on the G. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's the foundation of the cipher. Freemasonic compasses and square. The die, the, you know, um, Da Vinci's um, Last Supper, the, the Zodiac, the, you know, the menorah, which is not even a Jewish thing. It's, that's a symbol that's found all over the world. The Ouija board, the Tetragrammaton, as we just showed. The emblem of Israel, the the UN logo, etc. So, pi, by the way, this what we're understanding is the word, which is what the Freemasonic compasses and square is showing. The tradition, this is, comes from Frank C. Higgins, the tradition of a word of omnific power in which is concentrated a store of force at once dynamic and intelligent, so terrific it's in its intensity that he who knows and understandingly utters it may wield an absolute divine sway over the power of the elements is one of the oldest legends of the human race. 
Higgins here, it was a 33rd degree Mason, is basically saying that the word is this idea of the word of omnific power is as old as the human race. That's exactly what we claim Gnosticism is. That's exactly what we claim the mystery school tradition is. It literally is since time immemorial, the Freemasons say. Higgins also says this, just to make this point, right? Man is unable to comprehend eternity in any other sense than, than that of a circle. The greatest God of all the old pantheons represented time, and he was father of all the other gods. He carried in his hand a straight line and a circle, the very geometric forms you need to make pie. The first had a beginning and an end, and the second neither. This represented time and eternity. So this is a straight line and a circle, and that's the most you can comprehend about, according to Higgins, uh, the mysteries in this sense. Here's, uh, what is this, like Chaldean, I think, and... Western Germanic or something. Anyway, it doesn't really matter where they come from. What? Look at this guy. The guy in the right there. He's just a big giant, and it's like he's obviously bigger than the other characters there, right? So it's like the little people and the giants, and he's like sitting on a, a throne there, right? He's obviously. Uh, it looks like he's got a very. Um, well, what do you want to say? Like pineal pineal gland pine cone hat on almost that kind of thing and he's sitting on that little throne and he's got it looks like there's two opposite lions there that's what she's standing on on the left there and what's he holding in his hand a straight line in a circle what's she holding in her hand a straight line in a circle that guy is handing off the word in this sense okay he's handing off the the word so and um let's just say this with the compasses and squ uh, squ square, we, uh, we can trace all the figures used in the mathematics of planes or in what are called geometry and trigonometry, two words that are themselves deficient in meaning. Trigonometry and geometry are deficient words to explain what it is you're dealing with because you're dealing with metaphysics. Geometry, which the letter G in most lodges is said to signify, means the measurement of land of earth. The science of numbers to which Pythagoras attached so much importance importance and whose mysteries are found everywhere in the ancient religions and most of all in the Kabbalah and the Bible is not sufficiently expressed by the word geometry either or trigonometry. Okay, so that's your grammar. The first thing that the Freemasonic Square encompasses is doing is trying to tell you about the holy name of God, the word of God, the Tetragrammaton, Lord Jesus Christ, and how your language is metaphysical. It is. Here's rhetoric. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but rhetoric is, do you guys know what rhetoric is? Rhetoric is not, is basically, um, rhetoric refers to the study and uses of written, spoken, and visual language, okay? It investigates how language is used to organize and maintain social groups, construct meetings, uh, meanings and identities, coordinate behavior, mediate power, produce change, and create knowledge. Rhetoric is not just empty words or fine political speeches. Rhetoric is the study and art of writing and speaking well, being persuasive, and knowing how to compose successful writing and presentations. So it's not rhetoric is not just used for politicians to lie, you know, to lie to you and stuff like that. Though it can be, you know, this is that is rhetoric. And so when you develop a skill in rhetoric, what you're doing is developing your ability to discern people that are trying to persuade you using techniques and things like that for good or for ill, right? Like um, what it says here, politicians deliver rallying cries to inspire people to act. 
Advertisers create catchy slogans to get people to buy products. Lawyers present emotional arguments to sway a jury. These are all examples of rhetoric, language designed to motivate, persuade, or inform. Think about what happened during the COVIDians of the 19s and all the jibbity jabs. Look how many politicians and government officials and Hollywood celebrities and newscasters and all these other pe you know, people that basically went out on this huge campaign to try to convince you to take the jibbities, right? That's all rhetoric. That was all rhetoric. It was just them being trying to persuade you and, and you know, basically stuff like that. So the, those of us that had been, you know, at least um, well studied in things like this, we could see right away. It's like, why are you guys working so hard to try to convince us to do something? It's a basic question that will that will that will completely uproot to pull the carpet, you know, pull the rug out from under their entire you know, their, their entire uh, agenda there. Because it's like all of us people that had actually studied rhetoric and understand how that works could hear what all these people were saying. It was like, you're working extra hard to try to persuade us to do something. That should make all the light bulbs go off in your head. So now, of course, in our educational, our miseducational systems, we weren't really taught rhetoric. So therefore, we can be what? Subjected to people that are that are using rhetoric to persuade us to do insanely wicked things okay now rhetoric can be used i use rhetoric all the time this is the five canons of rhetoric i think it's by cicero is allegedly you know who, whatever but um delivery delivery refers to how to actually how you actually present your message Invention. Invention refers to coming up with or inventing a good idea. You don't necessarily have to invent an idea or anything like that, but it's basically like, hey, I want to talk about something, so you have an idea. The arrangement. Uh, once you have a good idea, you determine what order it needs to be in to be, to be most effective. That's what I do on these live streams all the time. I work on my delivery. I work on the arrangement. I've got to have, I got to have a beginning. I got to have a middle. I got to have an end. We have to conclude with something. There has to be a lesson that that's, I do this stuff all the time. Every time I sit down to do these, I'm doing all of this stuff. Style, word choice, tone pace, visualization, and other emotional, uh, emotion evoking style options. So when I put together all these graphics and things like that, or I use word choice, visual, 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 visualization if i can speak sometimes i'm doing that intentionally i'm not doing that to try to dissuade you know to try to manipulate your mind or do things like that i'm doing it to inform you and educate you but i'm using rhetoric uh, memory is all about your knowledge and understanding of this content well i understand this content very very well i've been dealing with it for how many years now so um there's nothing wrong with rhetoric but rhetoric can be used to you know make you do all sorts of crazy things when we talk about grammar, okay, we're going to go grammar rhetoric. We recognize that grammar, right, the language itself is metaphysical, okay? Well, then that gets into how you actually, you know, use the language and use it to inform people or persuade people or dissuade people or manipulate people or whatever. This gets into the fact that you are dealing, we are always dealing when we're dealing with, with language, a highly occult subject, highly occult, okay? This is where we get sentences and seances, casting spells and spelling, rites and writing. People see connections like that and they're like, see, it's all demonic and stuff. No, no, it can be used for demons or Satan worshipers or whatever. Yes, language can be used and manipulated, but we also can bring out what? As we're saying, the holy name of God and Christ within our language too. That's what we do here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. You're welcome and thank you. Language can be used to illuminate or manipulate. Language is the medium that wizards and dark occultists use to manipulate reality. Knowing your alphabet 
And being familiar with its occult foundations allows one, able, one to be able to see past the tricks. And this is why, once again, when a lot of, the, lot of these, uh, when the, the Covidians of the 19s came out, people like ourselves, we didn't have to go to like, well, what did the doctor say? Well, what did, what did the churches say? What do I, we, we could just tell by your rhetoric what you were doing. Because we studied the occult foundations of our language. The Kabayan, the seven, seven uh, classic <laughs> hermetic philosophy, right? The seven, um, what is it called? Seven hermetic principles, I think is what it's called, officially. The first one is this, and we'll go over this book at some point too. That's on, that's on the list at some point. That's on the Schindler, is what my wife and I like to call lists. We like to call lists Schindlers. So it's on the Schindler of what we're going to do. The Kabayan, um, the, first thing, the first hermetic principle is this. Well, this is why grammar and rhetoric and understanding your cult foundations of language is so important. The all is mind. The universe is mental. This principle embodies the truth that the all is mind. It explains that the all, which is the substantial reality underlying all the outward manifestations and appearances which we know under the terms of the material universe, the phenomenon of life, matter, energy, and in short, all that is apparent to our material senses is spirit, which is itself unknowable and undefinable, which may be considered and thought of as a universal, infinite living mind. We're in the mind of God right now, right? There are dark occultists that recognize that, and they use language, they use symbol, they use visuals, rhetoric, they use language to, to what? Convince you of a bunch of shit that is completely unprovable. Let's take the ball earth for a second, okay? What ha how did how did they get us, if you will, to believe that nonsense? Well, they just told us again and again and again and repeated it and used visualizations, rhetoric again and again and again and again and again and again and repeated it. Right? There's nothing in your experience, in common sense, provability, the geometry, any of the sciences that nothing is verifiable about heliocentrism. But they got everybody to believe it. How? They just told you. They just use language. You're not spinning. You know, it's like, oh, well, the Earth is, is at, it's tilted at 23.4 degrees, and it's spinning counterclockwise, and it's spinning at 1,037.5 miles an hour. And the Earth is traveling 66,600 miles an hour through the solar system, and it's in a solar system, which means it's wrapping around a sun, and the sun is moving half a million miles an hour, 400,000, give or take 100K. Okay? N that's crazy. You don't experience, see, or verify any of that stuff. And how did they get us to believe it? They repeated it, and they just told us. The all is mind. You're on a ball. They just keep repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. And that's it. But then that leads us to the next one, which is what? Grammar, rhetoric, and logic. So now we get into logic. And what does logic lead us to? Well, logic teaches us that we have to be logical. So when we hear a bunch of things like, wait, we were spinning at 1,037.5 miles an hour counterclockwise and we're spinning and we're, we're traveling 66,000 through infinite space and then there's a sun that's 93 million miles away which is actually closer to us in the winter this is where logic when you take logic you said well none of that's logical at all wait so there's like a an invisible bug that's flying around everywhere and that but it's never you've never it's not in a test tube or anything you've never Anyway, I don't want to get it because I want to stay on YouTube. But you get what I'm saying. Asking basic questions is what logic is. What is logic? 
It's a branch of philosophy that treats of forms of thinking, the science of distinction of true from false reasoning. True and false, reasoning, reasoning out something. This is what we do with the Bible, guys. We're like, okay, so, okay, so here's the story. So, like, a long time ago, there was this guy, Noah, and he was 600 years old and a drunk. And he made this big boat, and he got all the animals two by two to get above this board. But what happened? Don't eat animals eat other animals? They went veggie for a month, or whatever it is. So then he got everybody, and his boat was really big. It was really, really big. And all of this miraculous shit happened way back then, but it doesn't happen anymore. Because the good book says, we take our reason, our logic, and we look at that and we say, well, that's, doesn't, you can't verify that. It can't, it's not repeatable. It's a, you just have to drum it up to, you know, like all, there's nothing logical about that explanation whatsoever. So when we see Christians and they're just completely just enveloping that belief, it is a belief system. It's an interpretation. They're completely abandoning their logic. They may claim that they're using logic. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're not using logic at all. Logic is what? If it comes from logos, reason, idea, or word. The logos is what? The divine word. The second person of the Christian Trinity. So what is, when we say, okay, so all of this is study in the metaphysics, right? It is. Grammar, rhetoric, and logic, all of these things are metaphysical. Why? Because logic comes from logos. This leads us yet again, the seven classic liberal arts leading us yet again to what? Christ. What is the logos? That's the word. That's Christ. What is he? As we say, whenever you try to, whenever you define logos, what are you, def what are you defining? How is it defined? All terms that deal directly in the metaphysicality, in, in metaphysics, okay? Uh, transcendent, eternal, everlasting, undying, immortal, deathless, indestructible, incorruptible, superlative, unsurpassed, incomparable, unrivaled, etc., etc. Supernatural, transcendental, otherworldly, superhuman, mystical, mystic, spiritual, divine, heavenly, exalted, sublime. All of these terms absolutely fitting for our Lord and Savior, correct? Okay. So grammar, rhetoric, and logic, all of those things directly lead you to ultimately what? Christ. Okay. Grammar, rhetoric, logic, let's look at music. And we're going we're gonna to show you how the Freemasonic compasses and square um, is revealing to us music okay the first so this is once again there's the freemasonic compasses and square the first thing that we recognize is what the g there now when we look at our alphabet our our um, divine grammar if you will we go one two three four five six seven and it stops correct that's what happens and then there's just a mirror there so one two three four five six seven there's that center there's that g there's the reason for the g all of that there's a mirror. The seven whole tones. There's seven whole tones in when you make um, in a in a you know a guitar, right? Seven whole tones, and then you have the semitones, which is five. So the first thing that they they do. So when you talk about just the seven whole tones, like A B C D E F G, that's the first seven letters of our alphabet, and that's where it stops on the G. That's where it stops in the Freemasonic compasses and square. Correct. Mm -hmm. Then there's five semitones. So C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E, no semitone to E, F, F sharp, G, G sharp, A, A sharp, B, back to what? What would be your octave? So the structure of modern Western music gives you essentially two numbers. Seven, which is your whole tones, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, 
and then your semitones, which ultimately gives you the difference between 12 and 13, if you will, because it's basically A, B, C, A, you know, A, A sharp, B, C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E, F, F sharp, G, G sharp, A, A sharp, B, back to C. So that's your, that would be your 12 to 13, okay? It's like seven to eight, seven whole tones, octave being eight. Those numbers are exactly what you're given in this cipher. The cipher is broken up to 12 around one. So there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M is, tw is 13 letters, but it's 12 around what? The G, even mathematically. N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. What is that? 12 around one or 12 whole tones, semitones, and the octave, if you will. Then, it, then of course, the Freemasonic compasses and square does what? It highlights what? The first seven whole tones, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So the first thing, one of the, one of the things that they're doing in the Freemasonic compasses and square is giving you music. That's what it is. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, there's your whole tones. Then when you actually build the cipher using this, then you get what? 12 and 13 and seven. Those are the two numbers that you're using to build this thing. Those are the numbers directly related to music. Now, as we said, the Freemasonic compasses and square leads you to that, um, what? The master's word or the holy name of God. Okay, so I've showed this before. Let's do this again. So using that cipher down there, the word... <laughs> I probably showed this like five or six times and hardly anybody's ever said anything about it. It's so insane. It's so insane. Okay, so the words God and Lord, which are the two terms that are that are used in the Holy Bible to reference God, form chords straight up, okay? The God, which starts with a G, guess what it forms? Literally left to right, a G chord. Okay, let's do this. G-O-D, everybody, top left there. That's how you spell God, as we all know, three letters. G-O-D, well, placing the cipher on there, G is seven, O is two, and D is four. Does everybody see that? Well, if you just converted those, those notes there, the, the numbers, seven, two, four, to the notes, the first seven whole tone notes, do you know what you get? G, B, D. It's a triad. It's literally the the G. It's literally the a G chord given to God with a G, and then there's a G in the Freemasonic compasses and square. Because and any musician could verify this. I don't know why anybody. Has that. So that's G B D. So everybody get that G O D is seven two four. You take the numbers, just apply it to the first seven uh, whole tones. A B is two. C D is four. G is seven. So God gives you what? A G chord. So not only is the Freemasonic G, uh, the compasses and square, giving you the numbers that are at the pattern of Western music being seven and 12, right? 12 around one, if you will. But it, the G is also giving you the, telling you about the name of God. Then you go to God and it's giving you a G chord. Right there. Lord, which is the other name, does the same thing. It gives you a, a well. It gives you a basically a B minor chord. I think it's like B, B minor add nine or something. I don't know. I'm not that. I don't know music theory that well. But L O R D, 
2254, okay? So we're just gonna convert those letters, which are numbers now, into music notes. See that? Lord 2254. So now 22 two becomes BB. There's your Bs. Five is E. And then D is uh, four is D, which is that. So now you have this chord. So that's your Lord chord. And that's your and this is your God chord. So that's so all of this, by the way, is encoded in the Freemasonic compasses and square. Those Satan worshippers. Those demons. So that's your God chord right there. And then here's your Lord chord. Now, here's another point. The Lord, God is in heaven. Lord is on earth. God in heaven, Lord on earth. We've talked about this as well. Genesis gives you all God. It's all God created in the beginning. God created heaven and the earth. And God did this and God did that. And it's only in the second chapter where, you're, where you get Lord and, and, and Lord God. The combination of those two. So God is a major chord. G is the major chord. Sounds nice and major. Lord is a minor chord. So not only did, you, did they give you... Not only does God and Lord are converted to chords, but they're also giving you the major and the minor in that scale. That's a minor. That's a major. That's God. And that's Lord. Christians, did you know that your Holy Bible is ciphered with music? So, okay. Let's keep going. Cosmology, astrology. So we did grammar, rhetoric, logic. Now we're on to cosmology. Now, many people, uh, we've talked about this many times. This will be a review. So I'm, I'll go through this fairly quick. But one of the things that, as we already saw, seven gives us Aries. Six, five, 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 one is seven. And then we go, flip it around and you got one, five, 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 six. And that's Aries. One of, one of the, sim that symbol is telling you about what? As above and so below. As above and so below. And that's actually with, that's in the, um, the Lord's Prayer. In earth as it is in heaven. That's what it says. So that's telling you about what? The, ultimately telling you about the Zodiac man. You know, everything up there is within here. That's what we talk about all the time. Once again, you're not going to possibly, possibly understand the Bible without that. There's just no way. There's just no way. The compasses make a circle, the square, you know, makes a square, of course. And so these are the term, these are the geometric shapes that are, have been attributed to heaven and earth. Once again, I know this is a review, but I want to go over this since we're, you know, doing the whole thing. This is your cosmology. This is your astrology. Grammar, rhetoric, logic, we got through those. Music, we just did a little bit of that. And now the Freemasonic Compasses and Square is going to tell us about what? Yet another of the seven class global arts being astrology, cosmology. The compasses points up to heaven. It makes a circle. The square points to earth. That makes a square. That's your heaven and earth. Heaven is metaphysical. And this is what we, this is everybody's cosmology. And this is what people, I think, really need to, uh, this, uh, this is logical. This is completely logical. Everything above you is beyond the physical. And this is provable. You can't touch the sun. You can't touch the moon. You're not going to go to Mars. There's not cars driving around on Mars. Elon Musk did not make, you know, put a car up in space, yada, yada, yada. You can't touch any of these things because they're beyond. 
That's what the Freemasonic Compasses tells you. It's unknown, it's incorruptible, it's incorporeal, it's celestial, it's spiritual, it's straight from the spirit. Everything comes from the spirit. Um, then what? There's the earth. It's the physical, it's the known, it's the corruptible, it's the corporeal, it's the terrestrial, it's the material, it's the matter. And so this, so the Freemasonic Compasses in Square, that's, that's what it's telling you. Compass, metaphysical heaven, earth. So people see that symbol once again, and have no idea that it's like that right there is telling you exactly where you are. So the Bible backs up this idea too of the spiritual, and there's lots of places that I'm just going to point this, point this one out, but that upstairs is your incorruptible and downstairs is your corruptible. Upstairs is your metaphysical and downstairs is your physical. This comes from, I don't know, um, Romans, I want to say. There are celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. There's the stuff upstairs and there's stuff down here. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Okay? There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is uh, the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, sown down here in corruption. And it is raised, raised in what? In corruption, upstairs. It is sown in dishonor, fallen, sinful people. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, raised in power. It is, there is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. Natural, down here, spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. So that's what, that's what the compasses and square is telling you about your cosmology. Once again, little review, I know, but this is all over the world. Once again, when we talk about that not that wisdom tradition, that is the seven classic liberal arts, that Gnostic tradition, when you say, hey, anywhere where there's been even the smidge of civilization, of you know people that have basically recognized their purpose on earth and what they're doing here, and they they codified all this stuff in their you know cathedrals and rituals and yada yada yada, anywhere that happened, you will find the tenets of masonry. What it's being what's said there. There's your. Um, Freemasonic Compasses and Square, there's Nuwafu Chi. Um, sorry, I'm going to go over this real quick because this is a review. Um, Mother, Father, God and Goddess of China, there's the Buddha Stupa, Compasses and Square all day long. Compasses and Square, circle of the heavens, square of the earth, at the foundation of a bunch of these cathedrals and chapels and etc. Um, once again, you find it all over in alchemy, all over in alchemy. Rebus there on the right, one of my favorite alchemical illustrations. That's a compasses and square there, right? There's the mandalas on the left. What is that? Behind every single one of these traditions, what are you going to find? A system, a universal wisdom system of, of, of knowledge. There's no question about it. There's a few more. Now, when we talk, and, and then we'll take a little break here. When we talk about the metaphysics, right? When we talk about being logical with our experience, and then also talk about the metaphysical reality of what's above us, this should, so let me, let me step back here. What can we say about the, the, the heavens above, the metaphysical? Not much. Not much. We can't say anything about what is the sun? Big burning ball of, I don't know, no idea. It's, it's the portal to another dimension? I don't know. What is the moon? Well, it looks kind of like a rock, looks spherical, could, could be, but then it's metaphysical. We can't ever know. 
So there's no way to prove any of that. You could speculate and do videos all day long about your theories about how it all works. And guess what you will be doing? Wasting your precious time because there's no way if you're logical, that you can prove any of it. This is why I've said to the flat earth community, I was like, stop trying to explain your heavens. You can't, you can't, there's no way. You're wasting your time is ultimately what it is. The star, the heavens above, we are, in, we are shrouded, completely enveloped in what? A metaphysical reality that's available to us all the times so that we can't say anything about other than what can we do? Well, we can map and track the patterns. That's about it. We could say, well, the sun, about 365 is the yearly. Th- and then that Mercury, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I mapped and tracked that's about 88. What is Mercury? I don't have a freaking clue. I have no idea what it is, right? You, you can't know. So the heavens above, think about this. This is what it should do. When you come to these recognitions and you come to it logically and rationally and realize that there's no place you can go besides the, the truth of what you're given, you're not going to understand that stuff. The heavens above, the heavens above, that you can't possibly understand, that is perfectly ordered so much so that we can plant our crops and know when the sun is going to be higher in the sky and lower and winter, all that sort of stuff, is perfectly ordered. It's surrounding you all the time. That should humble you. That should humble you. That's what God Almighty should do. This should humble you. You should recognize like, whoa, that most of that stuff's beyond my, com- completely beyond my comprehension. I can act all high and mighty in my intelligence, but at the end of the day, you know what you can say about that stuff? Uh, uh, That's about it. That should humble you. I think it had for lots of civilizations. I think lots of civilizations ended up uh, creating their mythologies and that sort of stuff based on the heavens above because ultimately it was a source of endless wonder and endless humility. Now, Think about this. Pi is given in that Freemasonic compasses and square, correct? Pi is the is the is the mathematical word of God in that sort of sense. In that study, um, the graphic is cut off on, on the top of the logo. No, it's not. It's in light screen. Oh, which is switched. Anyway. Uh, what was I saying? Above you, you can't prove, correct? It's, there's an unreachableness to it or metaphysicality to it, that sort of thing. Then in that symbol, they're telling you that. They're like pointing up compasses. Why, why is the compass given and the circle given to the heavens? Well, because ultimately, as, as uh, Frank C. Higgins said, that power, that omnific word of power, right, that is pi in, in, in the study of mathematics it's a transcendental number. The pi tells you itself it's transcendental. Just, just as all the terms of logos give us, it's a transcendental thing. You, you can't possibly see the end of pi. You always have to abbreviate or approximate pi. You know, sometimes it's 3.14, sometimes 3.141, sometimes 3.142. We use all of it. It's always approximated, which is basically what? Yet another one of these ways in which God has given you to say, hey, guess what? You're not really going to understand that stuff up there. Just like you're never going to see the end digit of pi. You never, you know. Maybe after you leave Earth, maybe you'll see it or something like that. Maybe there is an end digit of pi, and pi, God's going to be like, look, it's four. That was the end. I don't know. But that tells you, it tells you naturally in how pi works that there's an unknowability to it. 
Okay, I'm gonna say this and then let's take a break. What are the, so we say, oh, the, all this stuff, we don't know it all, it's just wonderment, blah, blah, blah. What do we learn from it? What can we learn from it? Using our logic, using our, you know, using our common sense and our discernment. Okay, here's the way that God speaks to you. What is the symbolism of those stars? Natural, inherent symbolism, the things that we can extract directly from them. Lessons from the stars. The stars don't lie, neither should you. What goes around comes around. Shine your light before all men. Are, do the stars do all these things? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. D in the sense, symbolically or poetically, die and be reborn. What do I mean? Oh, Sirius is going to fall on this horizon. The next thing, oh, it's gone. And then what happens? Oh, it comes back. It dies and is reborn. Poetically, symbolically. Every new day is a new day to shine. Seek the center and be still. What do you think Polaris is doing up there? The grand order of this world is heavenly. Facts. It's always darkest before the dawn. It's getting pretty dark lately, isn't it? It's getting pretty dark, isn't it? <gasps> there are highs and lows, but all remains balanced. Is that what the stars do? Yes. An endless world of wonder and amazement is right above us. Okay. We'll get on to, we did grammar, rhetoric, music, and logic. And then we just did cosmology. We'll get into arithmetic and geometry uh, heading out here. But right now, we're going to pass the basket. For all of you that like the fine work that we do here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we really appreciate all the support. And if you can support us, please do. It's how we keep going. We keep going by your donations and your support and buying the books and all of that sort of stuff. We do not do commercials. We do not have a, you know, a sponsor. We don't do any of that stuff because we have integrity and dignity and we're not doing that shit. So, if you would like to support the work Venmo, buy me a coffee, Cash App, or you can snail mail me at Kevin McNally, N2550, Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin, 53566. And if you would like to send a letter or anything like that. I've got a few letters I'm going to open on Tuesday with Marty. From, I think, Whiskey and Bruce Hutton. And I'll do that on Tuesday, so.
All right. Thank you to all the people that do support. Thanks to everybody that has purchased a book or archives or anything like that. Like I said, we're, I'm working on the Tenants of the Order right now, which is basically a, a little book that you can download as a PDF or if you can order, you can order it if you want. Um, that basically has all the things that we teach, all the beliefs that we have, that sort of stuff. And then also the children's book that we're working on. So, okay. Grammar, rhetoric, logic, music, astrology, cosmology, what's next? We got geometry. Now, of course, the first, the tools that they give you, and there's, once again, there's a woman that's holding the, the square. The Freemasonic compasses and square gives you the two tools of geometry, the two main tools of geometry being the compasses and square. There's no drafting or architecture or blueprinting or, you know, even like building a house or framing something. You are, at some point, you will be using the, a compasses and square. That's just how it, it doesn't matter if you're a mason or an architect or a, or a, a draftsman or a whatever, right? A carpenter. So, and what is, once again, when we talk about the metaphysicality of all this stuff, what is the big reveal about the compasses and square? What is it ultimately saying that God created numbers and geometry? This is, once again, when you study the seven classical liberal arts, what you're doing is studying basically God. That's what you're studying. You're, studying, you're trying to find out his order, the, his design, the language he uses, what it, what, what, when he created the cosmology, how, how does it work? You know, what can we extract from it? What can we know? What can't we know? When, when we talk about our language, where did lang, where do languages come from? Where did English come from? Where did Jap, Japan, Japanese come from? Where did the Mayan language come from? Where does Spanish come from? Does anybody know the origin of any of this stuff? No, you can't know it. You can't know it. That's just stuff, right? We, so anyway, the, the point is this, is that all of this stuff is leading you to a study ultimately of God. And that's where ge geometry comes from God. <laughs> Numbers come from God. A perfect example that we just talked about, I think, two live streams ago was the snowflake. It's like, uh, in fact, I'm just reading this, this Frank C. Higgins book. I think it's called Ancient Masonry or Masonic. I forget what it's called. Anyway, I read like 40 pages of it. And the pages that I stopped at was... Um, snow, masonry and snowflakes was the chapter and was basically showing one of the things that he was mentioning was like, look, obviously you have an underlying order here going on. When you see water as it's falling from the sky, crystallizing into these perfect geometric patterns. And so basically the mason or the mystic or the, the, the esoteric poet, really, because that's really what, what we are in this sense, recognizes that and they're like, oh, that's order. That's the word. That's God. There's there, you know, and where did, where did, did he, did, you know, did the Jews come up with the hexagram? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, that, that's, that's in God's hands right there. So one of the things that the Freemasonic compasses and square is doing is actually pointing to the fact of where, where God exists. Okay. we talk about as above, so below, there's that, Hey, everything that's up there is within you so much so that they pattern the constellations on that shit. Right. The compasses and square, what is it saying? As we, it's given you the the math of the music, going. Hey, let's go those whole tones. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's seven, and stops at G. What is that doing? That's six around one. That's your X Y. Once again, geometry and mathematics. It's pinpointing God within. That's what it's doing. Six around one. One two three points of the compass. One two three points of the square. And what's it around? The seven of G. So then you go to the, the, the what's known as the Mogan David or Star of David, that sort of stuff, which is a symbol that's been used in a bunch of different cultures. Christians have used that symbol, by the way. Um, 
You know, what is that? Six in round one. Fundamental, basically a recapitulation or a reimagination of the compasses and square. There's the seed of life. There's the symbol of medicine. There's the, the once again, there's the menorah, six around one. That's why this, this is why it's so fundamental that people actually learn and study the seven classic liberal arts because what is what does it do? It allows you to understand symbolism. It allows you to extract higher levels of wisdom from the symbol. Most people just see a symbol like, oh, there's a cross, Christ. Well, okay, but what else is there? You know? Chi <clears throat> um, Ro, six around one. All of these things. This is what, once again, when we talk about the compass, when we've mentioned this so many times now, and this is why I keep coming back to this stuff, because it's just, that's, there's no place, there's no other place it can go. When, when, the, when the Freemasons, they put that compass up there, or all those other cultures that put the compass, right? What is it? The compass naturally creates the monad. It's the first thing that you do when you make, when you do any sort of basics of geometry, basics, okay? You're creating the monad. You're putting that pin, that, that, you know, pin down in the center and then swooping that thing around 360 degrees. That is a fundamental symbol of what? The supreme being, totality, wholeness, divinity. It's a symbol of the sun. And what is it? It's ultimately telling you about what? God above and Lord within. Okay, um, so this is what we mean by geometry. One of the reasons that the compasses and squares pointing to geometry is that geometry allows us to, to concretize, substantiate our faith, because this is exactly what the this is exactly what the Bible tells you to do. So this is Hebrews eleven one. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The ev and I've, I've repeated this so many times because you really can't even read this unless you have this foundation of the seven liberal arts behind you, right? The foundation of geometry and, and arithmetic. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. A logical person, a reasonable and rational person that's educated in the seven classic liberal arts needs evidence. I need, to, I need evidence of what you're saying. God has provided that evidence. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. So the elders, there's like, hey, uh, there's a long history of us being like, this This stuff works, dude. Okay, just trust, trust us on this. Through faith, we understand. We know. We don't, through faith, the, look, at, look at this, faith. And then the, not a, two, a word or two later, it says what? Understand. So faith requires evidence and understanding. Okay? Through faith, we understand. We know that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. Everything you see is what? Fleeting and passing and temporary and it's gone, right? But what's it made out of? Eternality. And then it says this, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed. How do you frame something? How do you frame something? When you frame a house... You're using math. When you frame a picture, it's what? 490 degree corners on that frame, is it not? So what are they saying? Beyond the things that you see, you know, beyond the things you see, behind that is an intelligence that's framing everything, constructing everything, giving order and purpose to everything. How do you understand that? How do we understand it? Through evidence. We see, all oh, that snowflake. Oh, look at that. 
Look at that. No one's forming that snowflake. No one's like, oh, let me give this a little extra. I'm going to make this snowflake an, an octagonal snowflake. No, God's doing all that. He's framing this, the snowflake in this sense, right? Framing it as it's falling to earth. So, this is, so we get into geometry, right? When we talk about the universality of the language, this is, this is God and Jesus, whatever, holding the compasses, right? Uh, to the earth and all this other stuff like that, right? So basically saying, like, look, this is divine in that sort of sense. If you guys have ever looked at, um, I need to do, I, I really need to do more stuff on Islam and that sort of stuff, but that's not what we're doing right now. So anyway, when you look at Islamic temples, what is the common theme? You don't, if, you, if you've ever, like, I haven't been in any, but of course I've seen lots of, illustri you know, uh, pictures and, and videos and that sort of stuff of, of these, these unbelievable, what are they, temples, cathedrals, what are they, mosques? Mosques. Um, there's not, like, a lot of art in this sense, like pictures and illustrations and paintings and all that sort of stuff, right? There's not, like, a lot of symbolism, stuff like that. What is the common theme, though? Geometric perfection. And this is the common theme that you'll even find in the Gothic cathedrals and, or we call them Gothic cathedrals, you guys know what I mean. All of these unbelievable artwork, you know, um, you know, pieces of architecture that are truly art. They put the art in architecture, let's just say that, right? Like the art in architecture. Um, it's just geometric brilliance. It's, it's obviously like highlighting and holding geometry to this unbelievable high esteem. Okay? And so this is what the compasses and square do. Once again, the compasses and square teach us about what? That the entire cosmos itself is what? Geometric, understood geometrically. Compasses and square. Now, I'm just going to mention this because I want to get into the arithmetic, okay? Because this is a whole live stream itself. But the compasses and square tell you the geometry of the circle the compasses and square tell you about the uh, the uh, mathematical art of squaring the circle. And I've got a video on that. I've done this many times. There's a whole chapter relating squaring the circle directly to Jesus Christ in the book, Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to uh, get into that. Once again, I put the math in that book so you can verify it. Okay. So that's all there. So that's the, the geometry is pointing to all these things, squaring the circle, your cosmology, the fact that, that there's a, there's a, that our faith is not blind acceptance. It's it's actually based on evidence and that we understand. We understand, okay? All of that sort of stuff, God, you know, created geometry. And then also one of the, heralding one of the great mystical mathematical arts being square in the circle. So that's all the things that are in that compasses and square, okay? Now, for the next half hour here, let's get into the arithmetic, okay? Grammar, rhetoric, logic. Music, cosmology, geometry, let's finish it off. Numero seven with what? Arithmatica. Numbers, okay? As you guys know, I've said this before, no other branch of education has such a vast range of applications as mathematics. You use math in pretty much every science. There's not a science you can do that doesn't use mathematics. But its greatest advantage is that it wakes up the individual who is by nature sleepy and slow-witted sharpening his memory and wits and leading him beyond his normal capacity by divine art. I have been led beyond my normal capacity by divine art by studying mathematics 
Amen. Numbers are the highest degree of knowledge. It is knowledge itself. And when we talk about Kabbalistically, when we talk about Kabbalah, right? We've mentioned this, that the angels, the angels of heaven are the angles. And that those actually have a metaphysical reality in the number line. And that's why. So one of the things they're, that the Freemasonic Compass is in square with all of that geometry and the it's one of the things they're telling you about is Kabbalah. Okay? Now, let's get into some heady math. Are you guys with me? Is everybody still with me? No. There's a bunch of people like, no, we're not with you, Marty. 106 watching right now, huh? Um, so many people see that this is the this is the the cover of the Holy Bible, the Freemasonic edition of the Holy Bible, which is just an authorized King James version. That's it. Okay. And so what this is going to do is once again provide you science, provide you scientific notions that you would be able to verify yourself. Otherwise, what's the point? Correct? So the compasses and square is open to 47 degrees. So the compasses is open to 47 and you can take a protractor and double check that yourself. And then of course the square is open to 90 degrees, 90 degrees. Now obviously they did this for a reason. They didn't, this is not just random numbers, right? There's obviously nothing random about this symbol whatsoever. But what they're going to do is actually tell you about the path of the sun. So uh, there's a number of things going on here. So 47 degrees and 90 degrees, okay? So let's get into this. So the, the top there is 47 degrees, okay? And that's the, that's the degrees of the compass. You can, right, uh, you can verify that yourself. The Freemasonic compasses that adorns the cover of the Masonic printing of the authorized King James Holy Bible is open to 47 degrees. And the apex or capstone of the all-seeing eye of God that graces the back of the United States $1 bill is also set to this angle. So once again, hence why it's so infinitely important that we, we actually get a proper education and study these things. Because once again, that if you have this foundation, then you can go into symbols and you can extract higher wisdom from them. Most people just see that symbol and it's just like they, they conjure up all these ideas in their head or whatever, what it means. And it's like, well, no, they're, they're giving you some verifiable math. So what does the math mean? That's the point. That's the question we have to ask. So Freemasonic compasses and square open to 47 degrees. The back of the $1 bill, that 47, the eye in the triangle, 47 degrees. So why 47 is the question. Well, 47 degrees is, is how we map the sun. And this is how they've actually, when we talk about manipulation of the, the you know, geocentrism and the earth, ball earth, this is your 23.4 degree tilt in order to create this phenomenon. Well, it's not tilted. It's the flat stationary plane that we're on and it's the sun that's revolving around it, right? Now, this is how, once again, just how you map it. So the 47 degrees comes straight, it comes directly from, so the sunset on June 21st there, sunset on the equinoxes, and then the sunset on December 21st. So that's your, you know, your basically your solstices and equinoxes that are being mapped there. Well, the difference between that, so is you can see it on the right there, when you uh, map it from a 90 degree, what you're, you know, basically what you're given is 23.5 degrees between the equinoxes and the winter solstice and 23.5 degrees between the equinoxes and the summer solstice. So what is that essentially? 23.4, 23.5 degrees. What does that end up being? It equals 47 degrees. It equals 47 degrees. So, so, and it's pointing up to heaven, by the way. This compasses is open to 47 degrees and then pointing to what? 
the, the up to heaven, which is the sun. Okay, so so the forty-seven degrees it doesn't it has nothing to do with heliocentrism or anything like that. No, they're lying to us about that sort of stuff. But this is how you actually find your forty-seven degrees. So um, to give you a clue as to why the sun varies, all you need to do is put a stick in the ground. If you do this, you will notice that at solar noon, when the sun is at its highest point in the sky, there's a shadow of a certain length from which you can measure an angle. If you do this for one year, you will notice there was a maximum angle measured and a minimum angle measured. This works for any latitude. The difference between those maximum and minimum angles will be 47 degrees. The, or the, you know, the difference is 23.5 degrees. So 23, point, as we just said, 23.5 between winter solstice, equinoxes, equinoxes, summer solstice. So 47, 47 is a natural phenomenon. It's not, it's not, oh, I was put there by the occultists or something. No, it's just measuring the sun, mapping and tracking the sun. Okay, so one can determine the Tropic of Capricorn and the Tropic of Cancer, the path of the sun, with a stick in the ground. And what will you get when you get that? 23.5 degrees, 23.4 degrees. What's, what's the total? 47. 47 degrees. So one of the things that the Masonic Compass is pointing to is what? Well, as we know, the heavens above and what is the main light? What is the main object in the heavens above? The sun. And hence why the sun becomes the supreme symbol of the mysteries. This is why one of the one of the varied reasons as to why you find sun god myths all over the world. It's not that they were worshiping the sun. What they were doing was what? What does Jesus represent? Order. He's the logos. Divine order. And how do we understand that divine order? Through the sun. Through the sun. And this is why you're this is why you're given the 47 degrees in the Freemasonic compass is in square. It's literally just measuring the path of the sun, mapping the path of the sun, if you will, not measuring. Compasses, heaven, square earth. Compasses, heaven, square earth. Now let's use the septenary cipher on the terms heaven and earth. Heaven equals 23, earth equals 24. What is that? 47. Why 47? It's literally what the Freemasonic compasses and square is encoding in its, uh, excuse me, is heaven and earth. That's what it's encoding. Then it tells you about 47 degrees in the compasses. Then what does it do? In the gematria, it tells you about it again. Now, so 23 and 24, you add those together right? It's 47. And you divide those by two. You find the mean or average. It's 23.5. So literally just by taking heaven and earth, finding their gematria values, dividing by two gives you literally down to a, po a decimal point, the, the path of the sun. This is called the, well, it's heaven and earth. So it's 23 and 24. That equals 47. And this is the seven classic liberal arts, which is brought forward by what? Three of the trivium and four of the quadrivium. Trivium, quadrivium. Trivium, three, quadrivium, four. In English gematria, three equals 28 and four equals 19. And together that equals 47. More references to Jesus Christ. Ready for this one? 
Lord Jesus Christ in that cipher that the, the that is encode that's you know encoded within that Freemasonic compasses and square. If you use that on Lord Jesus Christ, gematria total of Lord Jesus Christ equals seventy two. Okay, so check this out. Seventy two. This is all the stuff that's like. Forget about the gematria for a second. This is just all the numbers that are naturally encoded. The compasses and square here. So. Lord Jesus Christ equals 72. It's a reference to the word. It's a reference to Lord Jesus Christ, etc., etc. The 72nd prime number is 359. Okay? So the 72nd, so Lord Jesus Christ equals 72. We're going to go to the 72nd prime number. That equals 359, which means its divisors are what? 1 in 359, which means the 72nd prime number, its divisors are what? 360. Just that's how it works. There's 359 and 1. You add the divisors, it's 360. What is that? It's the degrees of the circle and the square. Correct? Okay. Now, take this. <laughs> that symbol encodes pi. So now take 359, which is the 72nd prime, and multiply it by pi. Do you know what you get? 1,128. And do you know what that is? It's the 47th triangular number. So in other words, if you go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way to 47, do you know what you're going to get? 1,128. You divide that by pi and you get the 72nd prime number. Pi, 72, and 47 all point to Jesus Christ. Why? Well, number one, heaven and earth equaling 47. Why is that? Because then Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. It's one of the last verses uh, in Matthew. 40, 11, 28, the 47th triangular number. When you go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way to 47, and you add all that up, you get 11, 1,128. Well, that's the product of 47 times 24. It's the number of, day, number of hours in one day. It's the, it's the equivalent of Earth. So that's, that's all that. Let's keep going. More references to Lord Jesus Christ. Ready? So 47, and this is exactly what this symbol is pointing to. This is why it's so, I find it so upsetting that so many people have this aversion to masonry because it's like, look, uh, this is all pointing to Christ. Okay, let's do it again. Let's show another way. That's 47 degrees. The compass equals 47 degrees. The square equals 90. 90 plus 47 is 137. And 137 is the 33rd prime number. Now, most people reference, so does everybody get that? 47 degrees, 90 degrees, you add them together, it's 137. 137 is the 33rd prime number. First prime number is 2, second is 3, third is 5, 7, etc. You get to the 33rd one, and it's 137. Why is this important? Because most people, when they relate the number 33, they related to masonry. That's like the first connection that they make. And I always say, why are you doing that? When Jesus Christ is said to have lived 33 years. So if we're going to, if we're going to place the number 33 and directly correlate it to anything in this world, it shouldn't be an appendant body of the freaking Freemasons, the Scottish Rite. It should be to what? I don't know, the Lord and Savior? <laughs> That's my take anyway. So here's uh, Luke 3.23. 
And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, uh, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Heli is a reference to the son. Heliocentrism is, Helio is the son. So there's that. But Jesus, his ministry lasted three years. So therefore you have what? <clears throat> Him being 33 years old when he died and was reborn. According to the Bible, 32 or 33, it's not specific. And then what do we see? The Freemasonic Compasses and Square gives you what? Not only like, you know, the chords of God and Lord and Pi and your cosmology and the reference to grammar and the direct references to Lord Jesus Christ. Then it gives you the 33rd prime number, which is what? A direct reference to Jesus Christ. This gets into, I'm just going to mention this here, this gets into your spinal column as well. Christ within. You get your 33 bones of your spinal column. Many people know that. This is where all this stuff comes from. Rod of Asclepius, Staff of Hermes, Moses lifting up the staff in the wilderness, etc., etc., etc. Okay, more Christ, more Christ. 137, let's go back here. Compasses and square, 137. 47 and 90, 137.5 is the degree of phyllotaxis. Once again, a review for some people. When you go out and if you go out and look at a plant, right, and you look at how leaves are arranged, there's you can take a protractor. This is what I'm saying. The world, the world is framed by the word of God, and we can understand it. And how do how do you frame something with math? This these plants, when a, this flower is growing and it has leaves that arrange itself this way, right? That's there's a pattern to that. There's geometry and mathematics to that. That's 137.5. So just 0.5 off of the number that they're, they're giving you in the Freemasonic compasses and square. Well, once again, that number, 137.5, is found within Christ. I know this is a review, but multiply Christ, the numbers of Christ, 365567, 18,900, the square root of 18,900 is 137.48, 137.5, basically. So... That fundamental pattern of growth of the plant kingdom is being referenced within what? The Freemasonic compasses and square. But not only that, in Christ. Okay? So, let's do this one. Look at this. Watch this. <laughs> this is nuts. This is, uh, okay. So, <clears throat> 40s, by, oh wait, one more before we get into that. 137.5 times pi is 432 for all you 432ers out there, just so you know. There's lots and lots of references to 432 that we can make that have nothing to do with changing tunings on guitar and stuff like that, just so you know. That's something that's naturally occurring in the world. So there's that. Okay, let's look at this one. Now, 47 degrees compasses, square open to 90. Together, that equals what? 137 degrees, 137. Okay, now let's take the gematria value of 90 degrees, which is the square, and it's right on the screen there, and 47 degrees, which is the compasses. So 90 degrees gives you 58, as you can see there, and 47 degrees <laughs> gives you 81. Well, 58 plus 81 is 139. So all we did is the gematria value of your, your square, 90 degrees, Gematria value of your compasses, 47 degrees. And that gives you 58 and uh, 81. Together, that equals 139. So the degrees give you 137, 
The gematria gives you 139. Why is that important? Well, if you had studied your seven classic liberal arts and you did your due diligence in, in geometry, you would, or, you know, uh, arithmetic and geometry and that sort of stuff, you would know that those are twin primes. 137 and 139 are twin primes. Once again, compasses, 47. Square, 90. Together, 137. Do the gematria value for 47 degrees and 90 degrees. And it gives you a number that's two off, 137, 139. Those are twin primes. 137 is a prime, 139 is a prime. A twin prime is a prime that as a number that is either two less or two more than another prime number. So in other words, you know, it's two primes that are really close to each other in the sending number line. So for instance, another twin prime would be 17 and 19. So 17 is a prime and 19 is a prime. And that's exactly what you get with, with the words twin prime is 17 and 19 is a twin prime. So what's being elucidated in, once again, the pattern of prime numbers as they unfold? Or when we look at the triangulation of numbers, that's your natural pattern that God is, has laid forward in, the, in the, the study of math, in the, in the universal language that is numbers. God has placed all of that there in the order. You can't mess with it. You can, it's incorruptible. And so what are the Freemasonic compasses and square telling you about? Mathematically verifiable mathematically verifiable that what well twin primes the unfolding of prime numbers so think about all this stuff that we're, we're given here the cosmology the gematria the music the seven classic liberal arts just even you know focusing on them in general then all the math to do what map the sun how the sun allows a plant to grow and unfold Twin primes, how primes are unfolding. Let's keep going. So the number between 100, so this is all the stuff, watch this, okay? So the number between 137, which is a prime, 139, which is a prime, 137 and 139 are twin primes, the number between that is 138. And 138 is, um, it's the, it's the number you just, it's the Phoenix cycle is what it, no, it's not, I'm just kidding. 138 is the number between 137 and 139. So, uh, 100, so 138, well, look at this. 365, which is what the compasses is doing, mapping the sun, which is what, 365. The 365 minus 138 is what? It's 227. Do you know what 227 is? It's another prime. Do you know what number prime it is? 49. Do you know what 49 is? It's seven squared. Hundred thirty-seven, thirty-third prime number, telling you about what? The number of years Christ lived. 139, what's the difference between those two? It's 138. This is your hand. Finger equals 29. You got a finger here, you got a finger here, finger here. And then you got a thumb. You know what that adds to? 138. Finger, finger. 29 plus 29 plus 29 plus 29 plus 22 equals what? 138. Now, we talked about what does the hand do? It measures the very thing that the Freemasonic compasses and square is telling you to measure the sun. You know, map and track, if you will.
We've talked about this. It's the hands of time. You can put your hand out and actually measure the sun. And then the Freemasonic compasses and square gives you the two numbers using Gamatria to do what? Point right back to your hand. But here's, let's just do, let's just do this one and then let's get out of here. Okay, so we looked at the 47 plus 90 is 137. That leads to the 33rd prime, leads right to Christ. Leads right to Philotaxis, which leads us right to Christ. Then we take the difference between 47 and 90. What is it? It's 43. Ah, oh, shit, it's another prime. It's like they're telling us about all these primes for some reason. 47, so 90 minus 47 is, is 43. What's 43? What's the 14th prime number? 43 is the 14th prime number, and that's the difference between 90 and 47. What are the divisors then of that prime? 43 and 1, which would add to what? 44. 90 minus 47 is 43. 43 is the 14th prime number. The divisors of 43 are, are what? 43 and 1. Do you know what it adds to? 44. Do you know what 44 divided by 14 is? It's 3.142. It's pi yet again. Multiple ways, multiple ways within that symbol alone by just understanding arithmetic that you can extract the holy word of the word of God in the study of number. Meaning the, the, the symbolic, of course, it's symbolic, obviously. So everybody get that. Now, why is it interesting? Because we just looked at the hand and that led to the number between 137 and 139. And then we use the hand to map the sun and then that's exactly what the Freemasonic Compasses and Square is pointing to. The Compasses is telling you about literally the mathematics to map and track the sun. Then we looked and we said, oh, boom, that's the 14th prime between 90 and 47 there. It's the 14th prime number. And we just got done dealing with the hand and how many phalanges in the hand? 14. See how it comes back to itself? Constantly re-referencing. Oh, oh, the king of, you know, oh, there it is. Now, let's do this one and then let's get out of here. Compasses and square. 33 and 27, um, which by the way gives you 60, which is 59 and 60 are both references to the sexagesimal system, which allows you to map and track time. That's another live stream. Adding 27 through 33, do you know what it equals? So square equals 27, compasses equal 33. Square equals 27, compasses equal 33. Adding 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33. Do you know what it equals? It equals 210. Why is that important? Because that's your hands again. Let's just do this. 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4. 27 through 33 equals 210. Square equals 27, compasses equal 33. 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6 plus 7 plus 8 plus 9 plus 10 plus 11 plus 12 plus 13 plus 14 is 105. And 105 plus 105 is 210. All of that has been encoded in that symbol. And the only way 
The only way that you're going to be able to actually extract that wisdom is what? Well, number one, understanding the very (laughs) educational curriculum that the symbol is actually unveiling itself, being the quadrivium and the trivium. But not only that, the only way that you're going to actually extract that wisdom is what? Well, if you have a heart that's dedicated to God and Christ, because that's what's in it. Otherwise, it's not going to be revealed. I want to say this and then let's get out of here. So, um, somebody just posted this this morning, a recalcitrant one or something like that. It was a Rosicrucian document. And uh, this is the story that was in it, okay? And I just want to, I, I want to uh, read this real quick, okay? So this is from the book from Max Heindel. It's called The Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception. It says, if the reader, having grasped this idea thoroughly, should ask what, what he must do to obtain this firsthand knowledge, this gnosis, this divine mystical wisdom, the, the following story may serve to impress the idea, which is a central one in occultism. This is a central idea within the study of Gnosticism, Freemasonry, occultism, Rosicrucianism, etc. Knights Templar, the whole bit, right? So here's a little story. Listen. A young man came to a sage one day and asked, Sire, what must I do to become wise? The sage vouchsafed him no answer. The youth, after repeating his question a number of times with a like result, at last left him to return the next day with the same question. Again, no answer was given, and the youth returned on the third day, still repeating his question, What do I do to become wise? Finally, the sage turned and went down to a nearby river. He entered the water, bidding the youth to follow him. Upon arriving at a sufficient depth, the sage took the young man by the shoulders and held him under the water. Despite his struggles to free himself, At last, however, he released him, and when the youth had regained his breath, the sage questioned him, said this, Son, when you were under the water, what did you most desire? The youth answered without hesitation, Air, air, I I needed to breathe, I wanted air. Then the sage says, Would you not rather have had riches, pleasure, power, or love, my son? Did you not think of any of these things? Queried the sage, No, sire, I wanted air and thought only of air, came the instant response. Then, said the sage, to become wise, you must desire wisdom with as great an intensity as you just now desired air. Say that again. Then the sage says, to become wise, you must desire wisdom with as great of intensity as you just now desired air. You must struggle for it. To the exclusion of every other aim in this life, it must be your one and only aspiration by day and night. If you seek wisdom with that fervor, my son, you will surely become wise. Now, what is the what is the wisdom? It's ultimately what? <laughs> it's the will of God. So you're fervently seeking it. This is why we talk about Masons becoming fiercely autodidactic. Is because your entire life, as we like to say at the church here, your entire life becomes what? You don't just go to church on Sundays. Your entire life becomes a walking meditation on Christ. You're de- you completely dedicated everything to it. And ultimately, that, as Masonry tells you, what does that lead you to? <laughs> philanthropy and charity and educating and all of this sort of stuff. Everything that, you know, we're, we're doing here anyway. 
That is the first and central requisite the aspirant to occult knowledge must possess. An unswerving desire, a burning thirst for knowledge, a zeal that allows no obstacle to conquer it. But the supreme motive for seeking this occult knowledge, this is the important point. But the supreme motive for seeking this occult knowledge must be an ardent desire to benefit humanity. Entirely disregarding self in order to work for others. Unless prompted by that motive, occult knowledge is dangerous. And I would agree with that. The only way that the doors are going to open for you is if you have a full heart and you actually want to know for the sake of knowing, not for power, not for prestige, not for all, not so you can hold it over other people, so that you can use it to help people understand God. To help humanity out of the mud and muck and mire that it's found itself in. If you're doing any of this for other than that, you're on the wrong course. You're on the wrong path. And that's one of the things that actually I learned from Freemason. So, that is going to do it for today. Thank you guys so much. You guys, as we like to say, where is it? Oh, where is it? You guys are good bites. You guys are very good bites. We appreciate it. So, thank you all to the people that did show up today. Um, I really hope you enjoyed the presentation. Uh, next week, we will be going into Matthew chapter 11 and then chapter 12. That will be the next two Sundays. And Matthew chapter 11 is going to be difficult. I'm just going to tell you guys right now. That's a difficult one for me. So, it is what it is. Anyway, so thank you, guys. If you guys want to become a good bird, you can become a good bird at Subscribe Star. We got Phoenix Bird, Aquila Bird, Cygnus Bird, Tommy the Pete, Tommy my bird. You can become a subscriber there. Or if you would like to throw any donations, anything like that, we really appreciate it. We love you so much. Okay, um, donations, any letters, anything like that. Like I said, I'll open a few uh, with Tuesdays with Marty. On Tuesday, set we do that Tuesday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Kevin McNally in 2550 Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin, 53566. We are streaming to YouTube, Rockfan, Odyssey. Are we streaming to Odyssey this morning? Nope. Are we streaming to Rumble? Nope. I'm a liar. These graphics are not true. Anyway, we try to stream from these platforms, and I don't know what happens, but it is what it is. There are lots of stuff for members at Rockfin, though uh, we don't know if we're even going to continue to do Rockfin because we can't get our money. Anything that anybody's donated to, to Rockfin, we can't get our money right now. It's unbelievable because it all goes to crypto, and they won't allow us a crypto account because it says that we live in Hawaii. It's a big thing, but it's a mess. Anyway, Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app, if you guys... I uh, want to get that. Sunday sermons are on there. We really appreciate that. Sorry. Um, and we're also doing the gathering. The gathering, August 18th through 21st, Kuyama Valley, California. If you guys are in the area, I will be speaking there. We're going to be doing the Sunday service there, which is going to be cool. And there it is, musicandsky.com. Okay. We also have the church store for anybody that wants to support the work. We keep going through your support. Okay. That's going to do it. Jennifer, do you have... Um, it's already there. God bless it. You don't even know it. Okay. Uh, we got, um, let's see, Jeremy Hines, Shannon Seal, Julie Pradal, J.M. Grassi, Oscar Sanchez, Garrett Rudolph, Daniel Henderick, Alan Woodward, Jennifer McLaughlin, John, uh, Joshua Crawford, William Christie, Construction Productions, Jeremy Hines, Gen X Rated, Gavin, Alicia Crawford, Matt Melilio, Daniel Hager, those are some of the people I forgot to thank last time. And Alicia Crawford, thank you very much. Letters from uh, Whiskey and Bruce Hutton. We're going to open those on Tuesday. Thank you to all the subscribe stars. I really appreciate. Uh, Brett Morgan tipped $5 on Rockfan. Appreciate your fight against the satanic COVID hoax since day one. We're right there with you, brother. Yeah, we were there. 
We are there. Jahaja. Tips five dollars. Thank God it's Sunday. You guys are wonderful to have as part of my day. Keep it up. Blessings abound. Thank you so much. Uh, Andrew Mason at ten dollars. Love me some church. Thank you so much. Jerry D. Nineteen ninety. The end of pi is four. <laughs> Jerry D. The end digit of pi is four. Thank you, Marty. Now I can rest. You're welcome. And then some name I can't pronounce because that is what is that? Is that Russian? I'm pretty sure. Anyway, twenty-two dollars. Thanks, Marty. Jared Poole, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thanks for what you guys do. Beyond grateful. We are beyond grateful for all for the support. Truth Sika, seven dollars. Thank you, brother. Jam Grassy, thirty-one forty-five. Thank you so much, Cameron Taylor. Hey, Mister, it's Cameron T. Thank you, Roddy Sue. Please try to explain First Thessalonians four sixteen to seventeen. Love my Sunday mornings with you guys. Okay, I'll try that. I'll do that. Maybe we'll just do that chapter or anything like that. So, um, it looks, is there, so Tara Mara sent $20. Thanks for the teachings. I've been listening for a while and it's time to pay up. Love from the Mara family in Wisconsin. Thank you so much. Thank you. We can't continue, we can't do this without you guys. It's just that simple. So Kevin Potter sent 777. Thank you so much. It's what keeps us going. We'd like to keep this going. We really would. What's that? Robert Bruce. Robert Bruce. Thunder Chicken. Thunder Chicken. Robert Bruce sent 1111. Thunder Chicken. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Okay, that's going to do it for me. All right, guys, I will see you on Tuesday. Hopefully, if you guys want to uh, join, that's cool. And that is going to do it. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed. All right, that's going to do it. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. All right, that's going to do it. Guys, I will see you on Tuesday and next Sunday. It's going to be good. As always, many blessings and much love to all. And we're going to rock out with, we're going to do some soul singing. Okay? We're going to listen to a little Black Crows, do a little soul singing. All right. Love you guys so much. I'll see you on the flip side. I've been down. Cascading in blue without a sound Now I've traded my black feathers for a crown So feed me milk and honey, lay me down Lay me down And we'll get high and we'll feel safe and sound It comes around Right-yeah-yeah-yeah-yeah Got my soul singing, my soul singing Soul singing, got my soul singing Got my soul singing, my soul singing Got my soul singing, my soul singing Tired of 
upside down.